Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Take your Bibles, would you please open them to Hebrews chapter 10. As we continue our study through the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 19. And so let's read together Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, where the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter in the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are on the other side now of Hebrews toward the finish line where the letter becomes rather practical to encourage the Hebrews to stay strong and steady in their relationship with Jesus. Remember, they were tempted to go backwards to the formality of religion. They they were tempted to go backwards to that which they lost, to a place of comfort. The life of faith was very difficult for them. They They lost everything for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they are being reminded that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he he ushered in a new covenant. And that new covenant replaced the old covenant, exactly as God predicted. He replaced the old covenant with this, notice verse 20, it's called a new and living way. A way that gives life. A way that is now rooted in in a faith in Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And now because of the work that Jesus has done, we have this invitation, verse 19. We're invited to enter in boldly. And that's an invitation that goes out to everyone, not just a select for you. Notice again, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. Circle that word boldness there in your Bible, would you? And right next to it, confident speech. Confident speech. The idea behind this word is that you speak forth with confidence. It's the kind of confidence that you have that you are convinced in what you're saying. So in that sense of confidence and being convinced, enter into the presence of God. But here's what happens. Often we choose not to enter into the presence of God because we don't deem ourselves worthy. We don't think we deserve it. And so therefore, we measure our lives by our works. And when we see that our works don't measure up, we go, well, I'm not going, I can't enter in. That's not from from God for me. I'm not going to enter in because I'm not good enough. Oftentimes, that is experienced and expressed in our times of communion. When we offer you the bread and the cup to remember the work of Jesus Christ in our life. Do you know every single week, Communion is skipped by people who believe they're not worthy or good enough to take communion. Now, of course, I'm speaking of believers here, those that have placed their faith in Jesus and have been forgiven. But the reality of that that sense that will we ever be worthy or will we ever deserve to take communion or to enter in, the answer is no. 
we don't enter in based on our way, but notice it says in verse 20, we enter in based on a new and living way. It's not our performance. The believer in Jesus Christ today has access to God far greater than anything that was ever allowed in the Old Covenant. You'll recall in our studies, we learned in the Old Covenant that the presence of God that was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the Holy of Holies now in the temple where that box was there, the Ark of the Covenant, and then the lid on top of the box, what was it called? The mercy seat where only one time a year by only one person could they enter in behind the veil and offer up the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement. One person, one moment, one day a year could enter into the very presence of God in that holy of holies where the Shekinah glory, the brightness of God, that's where he chose, remember, we learned, on the mercy seat in the old covenant, that's where God chose to dwell among his people. And so now today in the new covenant, you and I can enter in. We're invited. You're invited today. Enter into the presence of God. Let's draw near and let's bring our cares and concerns, our joys and our sorrows to the Lord. Literally no one could enter in. And this is a revolutionary truth for those that were listening. It is so revolutionary that I believe it's so commonplace for us as which is why I believe it's neglected. We very rarely enter into the presence of God throughout our days. I mean, I think that the, we examine our lives, I know I examine my life, that rarely do I find myself, it's easier to worry. Is it not easier to worry? <laughs> it's easier to worry. Uh, on this trip that we went, um, we had all these back-to-back um, plane trips and such, and, and, and I don't do well with that kind of stuff. I don't do well running to catch a plane. I don't do well uh, getting my luggage. I don't do well with that. But you know who does? Randy. Randy does well with that. And so we, we had a delay here and a this there, and we had to check our bags there. We had to go out and say, oh, and on and on and on. I look at Randy, and I go, this doesn't look good. And Randy says, sure it does. And I said, Randy, you're, you're out of your mind, man. We're going to miss our flight. It's going to be all over. We're not going to get to visit. And what does Randy say? You know what, Ed? We should just pray. All right, Randy. Let's pray. And he enters into the presence, takes me with him. No problem. Things get worked out. We make it, and, and nothing, there were there were no problems. And and Randy, that's one of the things I, I share I share with. I'm going to share with him is that I really appreciate him being alongside in that piece of my life because I just I just don't I just don't like it. And instead of entering in, I enter into my head. Now, all you, some of you guys are judging me. Do you not do that? <laughs> like I just enter into my head. I start fretting, and the Bible says not to fret. And it's good to have people around you that will remind you, no, the Bible says enter in. The Bible, Jesus, I mean, God, God the Father says, come in through the veil. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's the holy of holies. Come on in. You know why? The veil is no longer there. It has been torn in two. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 27. In the new covenant, there is no longer a separation between God and man that has not been bridged by Jesus Christ. 
So anyone can enter into the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone of any status, good works, bad works. Uh, you know, I, I think, just, just so you know, in my prayerlessness over a, my, a minor thing about getting our bags at the airport, my prayerlessness, which is disobedience, which is not entering in, did not prevent God from loving me. He didn't turn his back and go, you know what right now, Ed? I love Randy more than I love you. He didn't do that. Because God doesn't love us based on our performance. <laughs> he loves us based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He, he loves us based upon his love. We love him, why? The Bible says because he first loved us. And the veil of the temple has been torn in two. When Jesus Christ died, a miraculous things took place. Check this out, Matthew chapter 27. Pick up with me in verse 47. <laughs> Excuse me. Matthew 27, verse 47. All right, here we go. Let's start in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And mark this in verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, this is what gets most of attention at the crucifixion. Like Jesus has these final words, and as he's sharing with them, he has these final words, but miraculous things are taking place. First of all, there's this blackness, this darkness that takes over the land. Then there is the earthquake. Then there is the resurrection. These, there was literally people that came out of the graves at the crucifixion of Jesus when he died out of the graves and walked into the city. Can you imagine that? That gets a lot of attention. And then, and then there's that thing of the veil tearing. Then the, the veil tore from top to bottom. Of all that we see here in the miraculous around Jesus, the veil being torn in two from top to bottom is the most significant thing that took place. Now, you may not think it's that big a deal, but that was the most significant thing. Oh, but Ed, man, there are people that rose from the dead. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. But the, tail, the, the veil tearing, that's more amazing. Why? Because it ushered in a new and living way where no longer is there separation from you and God. You can come right in by faith in Jesus. Consider the veil for a second. The veil that hung in the temple was massive. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 10 inches thick. It was made of 72 braids, each consisting of 24 cords, and it was so heavy, this veil, that it took 300 priests to hang it. And the Bible is very clear that it didn't tear from the bottom up. 
which would, it would kind of imply that man had something to do with it. You know, it, it would imply that, hey man, at 60 feet high, and if we work our way down at the bottom, we slowly work our way up, we can tear this thing. No, it's tore from the top to the bottom because the top up speaks of the presence of God. And, and the bottom speaks of the presence of man. So it came from God to man, and it ripped in, in two, and it's no longer there. Even though through religion, you know, through religious activity, people often want to put the veil back up and bring some kind of separation between you and God. Do you know that sometimes you want to put the veil back up as you condemn yourself over your behavior, as you condemn yourself over your failures, as you fail to remember the mercy and the grace of God? Because sometimes we can get caught up in our relationship with God in a performance-based relationship. A performance. Now, you may not think of that way, but let me explain it to you. you. You look at God kind of legalistically, that if you toe the line, then God will love you. And so you spend a lot of energy and effort to toe the line, whatever that line might be. Church, whole churches and whole movements have been made around different rules and different regulations to help people feel like they're right with God. I mean, whole things like the way you dress, the, uh, the length of your skirt, ladies, uh, how, whether you wear makeup or not, the language you use, there are a thousand different, the car you drive, there's all kinds of things that are laid out before us that really are secondary matters to the primary matter of God's love for you. And on a simpler scale, when you fail, many people <clears throat> feel like God loves them less when they fail and loves them more when they succeed. It is simply not the case. God loves you despite your performance. God loves us. He loves us despite our performance. You come and you think, well, I'm gonna work a little harder, I'm gonna do a little better, I'm gonna give a little more tithes, I'm gonna do this more, and then just maybe God will hear me. But that's not God at all. He loves you, no matter what. By faith in Jesus Christ, he loves you. I was thinking about this in, in light of sports. You know, just before service yesterday, I received a text notifying me that my football team lost in overtime. First of all, those people were not very nice to tell me that right before service. <clears throat> but it reminded me, even if they lose, they're still my team. I'm not happy about the loss but they're my team. So they're not going to discourage me. I'm kind of bummed out what happened, but, but they're my team. You know, and they lost. You know, you Bronco fans, you totally understand this. <clears throat> you Rockies fans really understand it. It's one of the things, it's one of the things that I've appreciated about Colorado that I didn't experience in Southern California, and that is an intense loyalty in sports. Through the ups and the downs, which have been many downs and a few ups. And sometimes the, that loyalty will be spoken down upon, like, oh, I wish you were more loyal to Jesus like you were. Look, look, don't, that, that's not the point. I just want you to know, if you're a loyal fan of sports, that inside of you resides a loyalty that will be greater enhanced when you point that toward the Lord. Like, it's in you. It doesn't matter if your team goes, oh, in how many games in a season? 16? Oh, in 16. You might be upset, you might not like it, but that's my team. 
And then what happens? What happens for the last 20 years? Here, maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe next year. Why? Because of that, you love your team, good or bad. Now, what we do in simple sports, think of it from God, God's perspective. He loves you, win or lose. He loves you. Now, you may not feel that, but you have to take that feeling and submit it to God. Say, no, I know I don't feel that because I I feel like I'm a loser. I, I feel like I've lost. And let me just say, if you've lost, you have failed, God still loves you by faith in Jesus Christ. And he invites you to enter in in a new and living way of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So separate from sports for a second and just think the, the, things that we, the things that plague us are rooted sometimes in our conscience. Like our conscience is bugging us. Or we're beating ourselves up for something years ago. Uh, we lost an opportunity and we have regrets. But the, the Hebrews covers that. Notice it says, um, come back to Hebrews 10 with me. Up at the top there in verse 22, I think it is. Yeah, 22. So this covers it. It says, let us draw near with a true heart. So how do we have a true heart? But by faith in Jesus Christ and full assurance of faith because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies purified for the work of God. It is all the work of God so that by faith we believe that what he has done is sufficient and what do we do? We enter in. We enter in. We don't turn away, but we come boldly. That confident speech, man, we are confident in what God said, so we enter in. Some of you are in church today living out this verse. You have decided to enter in boldly. You look back on it your last year or two, you look back on your last few months, you go, man, they haven't been good months, but I'm boldly entering in. I want to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him with all that I have. I want to finish my race well. And God receives you today. But some of you are here today. Some of you might listening in on the radio or watching online that you think somehow church attendance makes you closer to God. Or showing up at a building with others makes you closer to God. And you know it doesn't. Now you're in a great atmosphere and God's going to speak to you. He's going to minister to you. But whether you come to church or not doesn't make you closer to God. And you go, Ed, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. God's love for you has no bearing whatsoever whether you go to church or not. And you're saying, well, if I hear you correctly, does that mean I never have to come back to church again? That's exactly what I'm saying. You never have to go to church ever again your entire life. You never have to pray to God ever again your entire life. You, You never have to give your tithes and offerings ever again your entire life. Because your new relationship with Jesus, the new and living way, is not described by have to. You guys with me so far? It's described by get to. So we don't show up and go, I have to be there because I have to please God. No. It's not have to. I get to. My life has changed. My time with you is is, is a response for the love of God in my life. When I put my tithe and offering in the box or I do it online, that's my response to God's love. When I serve and I sign up and I want to serve the kids, all this alternative, I do it because I love God. I do it because I'm wanting to please God. I'm doing it because he first loved me and now my life has changed. It's not have to. 
I don't have to do anything. By faith in Jesus Christ now, I get to go in a new and living way. It's not the deadness of old religion that is just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's the new and living way of grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ that radically changes your life. Love is the greatest motivator on the planet Earth. It will move mountains and seem like it is done at such great ease. We get to. You know, God's he's not running a factory, you know. <laughs> As a, Pastor Chuck Smith taught us this, I love it. Stuck with me forever. Sometimes we look at God like a factory manager, you know. And he's just looking for production. You know, you've got to do this and you've got to do more. And we've got to have efficiency. And if we did one thing last week, we've got to do two things this week. But God's not, he's not looking, his focus in us is not production. You're not an assembly line. It's not measured how much we do, how much you've done, how much you haven't done. How much, it's not that at all. If there's a picture of God in the Bible, it's not a factory manager. The greatest picture of God when it comes to us is as a gardener. He's a gardener. And what do gardeners do? They take care of the garden. And what comes from a gardener taking care of the garden? Fruit. Fruit. I was telling a young girl in the back today, uh, we were talking about all the rabbits in my neighborhood. Do you guys have rabbits in your neighborhood? It's a different Bible study altogether. <laughs> and so I was telling her, she's really young, she's probably four or five. We were talking before service and, and we were talking, you know, those rabbits. My wife, Marie, will go get these beautiful flowers and she'll plant them. And I'm telling you, within minutes, every rabbit in the neighborhood is in our front yard eating those flowers like they think we put them out for them. You know what she said? She said, well, you should probably plant carrots then. (laughs) Simple. Because a gardener takes care of the garden. Weeds, fertilizes, plants the appropriate things. Because God is so in love with you, tending your life, caring for you. When everyone's abandoned you, God hasn't abandoned you. When all hope is lost, God is hope. Hope is not a thing. Hope is a person. The person and work of Jesus Christ. He died and rose again. He is alive right now. That by faith in him, your abiding relationship strengthens you. So, so here's what happens, and we'll wind down here. The key in our relationship with God, if he's the gardener, he is, he's the husbandman, the Bible Jesus taught us, then our response is what? To abide. And so a person that's caught up in performance-based relationship with God will say something like this, okay, Ed, I got the message. My responsibility is abide, and I need to abide, and I'm going to abide. And then you have taken abiding and made it a work so that when you abide, you feel better, and when you don't abide, you beat yourself up. But abiding, another word for abiding is actually not a, it's not a work. Think of it this way. Abiding means to seek effort and energy in order to try to please God and just receiving you. That word just means to stay put. And what is the greatest need, aside from salvation, 
uh, aside for the forgiveness of sin, what's the greatest need in, among humans today? I'll tell you, Jesus told, it what it, told us what it was. You might be surprised, but everybody is striving for this, whether they're going after a lot of money, whether they're going after a career, whether like power and control, whatever people are chasing after, there's one thing that motivates them and one thing that deep inside they don't have that they're, they're really desperate for. Maybe I'm speaking to you today. I'll tell you what you're looking for. You're looking for true rest. You go, what do you mean? Well, Jesus put it this way. He said, all you that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and Jesus said, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, exchange them because you'll receive rest for your soul. Rest is found through abiding. It's not a work. It's a release. You know, at times when you were worshiping together in song, there'll be this move and motivation in you to raise your hands up like this. One of the things that you're doing by raising your hands is you, this is a sign of surrender. And when you put your hands up, you're, you're in a vulnerable place. You're, all your midsection's open and, and you're, you're up, you're, you're, you're surrendered. And when you think of surrender, you think of abiding. Like, for example, we're waiting for our bags. What did worry really do? Worry did absolutely nothing but make things worse in my mind. But we boldly entered into the presence of God with all our cares and concerns. A peace that passes all understanding immediately was mine. A peace. Now, did my circumstances change? No. And that's something that trips people up. You're battling with me in your mind right now. You're saying, but Ed, I, I, I've entered in. I keep entering in, and it just doesn't work because things haven't changed. You've got, the whole, you've got it all wrong. You're not entering in for things to change. You're entering in because God loves you, and he wants fellowship with you. Pain and problems are going to be ours until we meet Jesus face to face. We're not going to be able to get around it. We live in a sin-soaked world that has filled our lives with pain and problems. Whether it's our own doing, and we have plenty that are our own doing, our own sin, or the sin of someone else. And the rest that comes is not by some activity, not by a bunch of works. The true rest of God is found by faith. Believing what God said, entering in a new and living way. We don't bring a sacrifice any longer. We don't wait for someone to represent us. We, we don't hope that God receives it. He is Jesus Christ on the cross. One of the things, the final things he said is it is finished. And by faith, we enter in. And as you'll see in our coming weeks, you get to chapter 11, it's all about faith. A bunch of history lessons of people that have gone before us by faith, by faith, by faith. God is not a factory manager. He's a gardener. And he's taking care of us. One final thing. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Because we've got to get the order right when it comes to works. Now the Bible is clear that good works are to come from our lives. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And the Bible is clear that we are saved not by works, but for good works. The Bible is very clear that we're to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Jesus was very clear. He said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. There are act actions and activities that flow from our lives, but we've got to have the right order. 
And here we get the right order in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. You feel like this is beyond you. You feel like you, you, you don't have the ability to, to, to abide and enjoy. Here's the order and the encouragement as we leave. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you like to write in your Bibles or circle on your iPad, work out. Work out. There is a working out. Notice it doesn't say work for. There is a working out of our faith. Change lives from the inside out. Work out. Now, if you pause there, you just might feel like, you, you know, my whole responsibility is to work, work, work for God. But he doesn't, it's a sentence. And in verse 13, we have the reason, the word for. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So circle that word, those phrase works in. We have two things here that Paul's telling us. There's the work in and there's the work out. Work in always comes first. And that's what Paul says. We're to, work out our, our, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God has already worked in us to do and to will. He's worked in us. It's his work in us that leads to us working out. It's not the other way around. It's not, I'm going to work out my salvation so that God can do something in me. God has already done something in you. Now you just respond out of obedience and faith. And notice what he does. There's two things that God does in all of our lives. Number one, he works in us the will. That's the desire. You have new desires. I mean, some of you are contemplating things that, to serve God that you never thought of in your entire life. Why? Because God's working in you. Sometimes people will come up after a service and go, you know, Pastor Ed, I've got this desire to minister to my neighborhood and pass out flyers and, and minister and, and maybe make cookies for the kids and have a little kids club. Do you, do you think I should do that? And one of the ways, of course, I'm going to say, of course, do it. It's under the Lord. But one of the ways I'll explain that is, well, let's think about that for a second. Do you really think that desire came from the devil? And I want them to understand that God's speaking to them. Do you think the devil really cares about your neighbors? That the devil wants you making your famous cookies uh, so that the kids will know that you're the cookie lady and that they can come to your house anytime and you give stuff away and you talk about God? Do you think that came from the devil? And, of course, the response is, no. Why? Because the Bible says that God works in you to will. He gave you the care for those kids. And he also works in you to do for his good pleasure. Which is disruptive for us. We think sometimes it's, we're supposed to do for our good pleasure. <laughs> but it's not. No, no our lives are, are wrapped up in the will of God. He bought us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So it's not my way anymore. It's his way. A works-based relationship with God will only lead to frustration and condemnation. You know, imagine that you spend your whole life. Somebody told you along the way in a church you attended, you know, God really likes apple pies. And so you better make him a good apple pie when you meet him in heaven. And you go, okay. So you've dedicated your whole life to find the perfect apple pie recipe. You have flown around the world You've got this spice and this special apple and this, and you have baked 500,000 apple pies till you finally got the one that you have right before you pass away and enter into the presence of God. You've got the apple pie. 
And you're there in the presence of the Lord and you bow down and you hand him the pie. And God says, what's this? And you say, well, I heard your favorite pie is apple pie. And I've spent my whole life working to please you with the best apple pie that I could possibly give to you. And God says, my favorite pie is not apple, it's cherry. (laughs) And really, the illustration is this. You could spend your whole life working to please God, but he's already pleased with you. He doesn't need you to make an apple pie for him or a cherry pie. He, He doesn't want you to do for him. He wants you. That solves all the problems. That solves the issues in your life. Abiding is not an act that you do. Abiding is a moment by moment surrender to the love and grace of God. And so I invite you to do that. Boldly enter in. I invite you to boldly enter in to receive the very person of God. He's not asking you to find and work hard and he's not asking you to, to, to fly around the world to please him. To somehow, man, you're going to make it up. You know, you, you just feel like you, you raised in a home where you just feel like you've got to do things to, make, to please other people. To make people proud of you. When by faith in Jesus Christ, God loves you. He lavishes his love on you. And when you abide in him, great things will flow from your life. So Father, we ask for the boldness to enter in. We ask for you, God, to completely surround us with a sense of your grace and mercy today. Forgive us for, you know, just getting on this treadmill of performance, trying to please you when by faith, I mean, we just believe in you and you are pleased. Forgive us for wandering. (laughs) Forgive us for disobedience. We ask for you to forgive, Lord, and to work. We don't want to be machines. We're people. People who you love, one by one. Young and old. Mature and immature. Have a... uh, Life is what they want. They're where they need to be, and everyone that their life is upside down. Your love is steady and secure. We can enter in with full assurance. Our conscience has been sprinkled by your blood. And so pour out a fresh anointing of your spirit today upon us, God. Let us have a heart and compassion for those that are struggling, for those that are overwhelmed. Forgive us for our hypercritical, hyperjudgmental attitude toward the hurting and the, the weak. You said that we're supposed to support the weak. And there, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of God, that's where we would be. And I pray for the Wilson family. I pray for the Johnson family. I pray for many here today that are wrestling with the realities of pain and suffering and sorrow. That we might live in abiding moments knowing that moment by moment, you're our security and our rest. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-8255. 
888-888-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.